0: Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.
1: I was 16 years old. I was 15 when it first happened. And I went to the dentist and I got nitrous oxide and I came out of my body. I was very young and I had a very profound experience. The short version is... I realized that my ego was an illusion and my body was an illusion and I had this very direct experience of what's considered an enlightenment moment and when I came back down with tears running down my cheek, the dentist looked at me and said, sorry, I hurt you and I was like, no, 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 don't you know everything's nothing and nothing's everything and it's all relative and pain isn't important and he was like, what? And then he turned to my mom who was in the room because I was only 15 and she he said to her, can you drive her to the Michigan Metaphysical Bookstore because what she just said is a spiritual, um, awakening. And my mom was like, what? We didn't know what he's talking about. And then next year, 16, I go to the dentist again. I drive myself, you know, in the car and I had the exact same experience, only bigger. And then I come down and I say to him, I think I just realized that God doesn't exist unless you believe it does. And if you do, you can be happy. So I'm going to choose it. And he was like, okay, then he writes down the address and he goes, drive to this bookstore. (laughs) And I find myself at the entrance of my message, which this lifetime is keep the observer on step outside of yourself from the egoless place and look over at your personality, your human nature, your storyline and find the angle that will allow you to find some semblance of peace, because as soon as you realize this is a movie. And it's all what you make it. And it sounds so theoretical as I'm saying it to you, but I had a direct experience of it. Um, There's some freedom and it becomes humor and the pain becomes delicious and the joy becomes delicious and you choose your life. And then it becomes all about falling in love with your fate because there's not a whole lot of free will down here.
2: So I was introduced to you by way of our former guest, uh, Ellen Fondler, uh, who told me a little bit about what you did. And I remember when I first saw what you did, I thought to myself, this is really strange because up until you know a, a couple of days before, I had thought all this mystical stuff and astrology and crystals was just a bunch of nonsense. And coincidentally, I happened to have booked an appointment with an energy healer right before I saw your email. So I thought, Yeah, I want to have this conversation because I am genuinely curious about all of this. And not only that, I think what you brought to it that was really interesting was a combination of astrology and psychology, and the people that you worked with really amazed me. But before we get into all of that, um, having heard one of our interviews, you know that I like to start with very unusual questions
1: wait a minute, wait a minute. You left out the part where you walked up to the energy healer and said to her, is this all a bunch of...
2: Yes, this is true. So, we'll tell I'll that. That's so good. Okay. Well, I will tell this story. Okay, so I walked into a gift shop uh, here in Encinitas, California, where there are a lot of people that are <laughs> into this kind of stuff, and I asked this energy healer, is this all just a bunch of new age bullshit, or is there something legitimate to it? And I'm not, you know, saying this is an insult. I'm genuinely curious. And after listening to her, I ended up going and making an appointment with her, and coincidentally, I got your email, like, literally a day later so I was like okay this is like a sign I, I have to do this interview just out of curiosity
3: I
1: love that story I love the part where you walked up to her and said is this a bunch of bulls who, who says that
2: <laughs> well you know and the, the funny <laughs> I, thing is that she she genuinely like explained everything to me she didn't try to sell me on it um, and then and here's the part that got me what what struck me that was so strange was that prior to doing this she worked at NASA and I was like I don't care what you did at NASA if you're working at NASA you're smart
1: I worked at NASA too <laughs> really in my imagination.
2: Small world. Um, so I want to start by asking you, um, what did your parents do for a living? And how did that end up impacting the choices that you have made with your life and your career?
1: Oh, my God. That is the funniest question. My father was in the Jewish mafia and my mother hid under the bed. <laughs> Only I'm not kidding. So, um my father was a very influential character in my life, and he was Robin Hood, so he stole from the rich and gave to the poor. So it's not a traditional mafiosa story. He really had a lot of integrity, and that itself created a very unusual angle for me to see this life with, because what traditional or normal was certainly wasn't in my household. And yet, even though what people would have projected onto him as interpreting his life, I knew his heart. Mm-hmm. So he gave me the gift of non-judgment. I really learned from my father that what appears to be quote-unquote appropriate or acceptable isn't always at all what it is behind the scenes. And um, and I also learned in a very profound way the value of friendship, as you can imagine being part of the mafia, is that these guys were so bonded and they were so devoted to each other. And I grew up witnessing that in the den, with the cigars and these men sitting there, that it It created a feeling for me of friendship that I, to this day, carry. I grew up in a very small community um, in Detroit, a Jewish community called Oak Park, and it gave me an incredible feeling of being part of this tribe, so to speak, or a In the Jewish Yiddish word, it was shtetl, where people lived together in a community and they all knew each other, and they were bound by their commitment to protect and take care of. So when I, as I continued to grow up and found out that other people didn't have that same value system, I was kind of shocked. But it's provided in my life's work, which is I teach and I have a school there where I teach astrology. The whole school has this feeling of being part of a community where we all belong in our uniqueness, mind you, because... What astrology is all about is getting people to distinguish their you their characters but without wanting everyone to be the same and that's really what my dad gave me he he just was colorblind and he was a universal we grew up in Detroit he just never saw people as being separate and he gave me that gift. And also a very wide open heart. My mother on the other hand was completely Jewish and neurotic. And she, <laughs> she looked just like Bette Midler and she never, she never told them she wasn't when they asked for her autograph, she would sign, which was hugely embarrassing for me because she so resembles Bette Midler she's dead now. Um, but she gave me the gift of uninhibited um, audacity. <laughs> like she let, la- she allowed me to not feel constrained. So by my both virtue of my both parents, What a great question. Um, I was given permission to stand away from what's acceptable and become my own unique self. And that's what I do. I foster and promote in my work is letting people show up in their own unique way. And suddenly they feel so liberated, like, oh, my God, I'm so glad you told me that I'm a neat freak. I always knew it, but now I have permission or that I'm a mess. and Now I feel okay about the mess. So it's basically because of my mom and dad, their names get it ready were Tilly and Milt. (laughs) You can't make this shit up. This is out of the TV show. I always wanted to put a camera on and just do like Woody Allen does Deborah's House. And then they would just watch these characters, not change any outfits, but they were like Jewish characters out of a sitcom. Uh And it freed me up to be, uh, you know, I was very embarrassed growing up. It was, you know, but as I've gotten older and that they died, I've really come to like them.
2: Uh, You know, so, so um, you know, you brought up non judgment and uninhibitedness, which I want to do a deeper dive into. But one of the the questions I have, uh, you know, having not been exposed to this life, is what misperceptions do you think that you know, the average civilian has of people who are in the mafia. I mean, like my perception of mafia is I've watched Goodfellas. And, you know, when you describe this very small community, like I I keep remembering that moment where Ray Liotta's wife says, you know, we never hung out with anybody else. It was always just us. Um, So I am really curious, like what misperceptions does somebody like me have based on the things that I've been exposed to of this life?
1: This is so funny. I'm talking about it. I'm a psychotherapist and astrologer. We're talking about the mafia. I love it. Let's see. You know, true to my own personality and my own fashion of style of how I live this life, you can't make generalizations. I mean, this is the nature of astrology. Everyone is unique, and they come with a very particular sensibility. So, yes, the guys that hung around my dad. And the quality of mafia and what required their way of being together and the secrets and the FBI and all the stuff that I grew up around, that was the outer perception. And yes, you could say in general terms, mafioso, blah, blah, blah. But my dad didn't fit into any single box, nor do I, and probably nor do you. There's exceptional people that step aside. So I don't know that I have any expertise on the mafia, but what I do know is I was encouraged by their example. To value deep bonding where someone has your back and in our society if you think about anyone listening to this who are the people in your life that have your back what matters more than knowing who you can call when you're just got diagnosed or you just found out your husband's having an affair or you just broke your heart who, who do you call that's your mafiosa character so it's a word Mm -hmm. I don't know much about it because it was a very secret world as you can imagine I only figured out my dad was in that group when he got caught and sent to prison (laughs) I was like oh that's what those guys were doing in the den." how old are you when that happened the first time or the second time both I was about three when he left the first time and I was about 17 when they came to get him the second time when the police knocked on the door the second time
2: how did it uh, impact you
1: you're the only one that's got the story out of me. So well, let's talk about you for a minute. What a good
2: <laughs> I've been known to do that to people.
1: What, a, what an interviewer you are. The second time was it, was, it was just a very humiliating, you know, I was in a wealthy, up-class Jewish community. And we all, no one talked about it. We all pretended it wasn't happening. And um, I had to sit in a courtroom when I was 14 in the summertime because he had a court case going on and they wanted him to look normal. So my siblings and I sat in the courtroom just scratching our heads going, can we go out to play now? Um, how did it affect me? I, I can only say that I'm not that person. I, I have cleaned up my unconscious. This is the nature of my life's work is helping people reduce the impact of their childhood imprint and come into current time. But if I look back then, it gave me a very powerful resilience because there was so much pain that I had to learn to eat the poison of that story and turn it into colors. And I've done that. So it's hard to remember. I'm a thousand years old. And that was when I was like in my teenage years. And I say the simple answer is I learned that the upside, what loyalty was. My father's dear friend told on them he wasn't jewish the fbi came to him and said if you disclose the story because he had no track record no history in being in jail they said to him if you tell his name was wayne if you tell the story of what's actually going on in this court case we will set you free and then he came to my dad unbeknownst to us and told my dad the FBI guys approached me and what should i do and my dad said this is not because you know those guys would never as my dad the word snitch they would never snitch on each other but this guy was given an opportunity to not have to go to jail. So he came to my dad. I didn't know it. My dad said, do what you think is right. It's not my call. The guy decided to tell. Fast forward, my dad got out of the jail. He became friends with that man, Wayne, again. My mother would spit if you said the name Wayne. And then um, I finally, I pulled my dad aside. I was like, Dad, I don't get it. Why are you still friends with him after what he did to you? And he said, one, it is not my right to judge my friend. And two, he told me. Before all this happened, and I gave him the freedom to make a choice, and it's not my right to decide that he did the right or wrong thing. I love that man. Wow. Big teaching, never changed. No- nothing's Nothing. I think nothing has influenced me more than knowing what true friendship is, and I am lucky enough. And Ellen is one of those people. I have a few deeply bonded friends that I would die for. I mean, I hate to say that it sounds so dramatic, but <laughs> but that's what I watch with my dad. Wow. How'd you get that out of me?
2: Oh, I, I, trust me, you—you are not the first. I've been known to do that to people. Um, you know, you brought up three things that really struck me uh, as you were telling that story. You brought up non-judgment, uninhibitedness, and cleaning up the unconscious. And I want to talk about all three of them because I think they're incredibly relevant. You know, I think that something happens as we get older, Uh, at least I've seen it in my own life and and sort of, you know, the community that I grew up in is this non-judgment seems to go away. Uninhibitedness uninhibitedness definitely goes away. And I'm curious um, how you get it back later in life. Like, how do you cultivate it when you've lost it?
1: How you can cultivate, do that question again.
2: Yeah. So, you know, you talked about non-judgment and uninhibitedness, and I'm wondering how we cultivate those two things when we've actually lost them.
1: We've lost uninhibitedness?
2: I think we do to some degree as we We get older.
1: And how we would claim them back? Yeah. Why would we claim them back? Okay, I get it. You're saying we lose being uninhibited as we get older.
2: Yes, exactly.
1: I'm a little slow, but I I catch on. (laughs) Okay. Well, first of all... This is a practice, this is a spiritual practice or a psychological practice. Let's just minimize it to a psychological practice. Yeah. Most people's lives are miserable because they're pretending. You're at your happiest, most authentic self when you're with your best friend or when you're with your lover or when you're with the dog that you can just do whatever you want. Take off your clothes and hang out and you're just like, oh, I feel so good, it's such a relief. This person loves me just the way I am. You're at your most uncomfortable when you're in a business meeting or you're in a proper funeral home and you're acting normal and everyone's uptight and they're all holding it in. That's so uncomfortable, it's so icky. So the answer to your question is drink a lot, just kidding. (laughs) Um, The answer to your question is how do you get uninhibited? Yeah. You practice giving yourself permission to not care what people think and that is not an easy practice and it happens Way easier once you reach fifty, and it's easier <laughs> when you're sixty, and by the time you're seventy, who gives a shit? But but back at the ranch, at the age you're at, and your your audience,
4: uh-huh.
1: you want to hang around people that are free. You want to find those people in the world that make you laugh. The dog, the kid, the neighbor, the one that you and you make them your mafiosa best friend, and you play with them because this life is way too short to button it up and hold it in. Oh, wow. Don't you agree?
2: I do. I do completely. Um, before we get into cleaning up the unconscious and, and, you know, doing really a deep dive into your work. Um, I am curious, you know, from, you know, being 17, how did you end up on this path? Like what led you down this road and, and how did you end up here where you're at today?
1: This is unusual. Again, I'm going to stand away from the group. I have an incredibly intense purpose this life which is to bring astrology back to the masses and introduce what is once considered woo woo as you described like why would you do that into a very practical language where people can apply it and find results and get their lives changed. So I knew this at a very young age and I'm going to tell you another strange story. I was 16 years old, I was 15 when it first happened and I went to the dentist and I got nitrous oxide and I came out of my body. I was very young. And I had a very profound experience. The short version is I realized that my ego was an illusion and my body was an illusion. And I had this very direct experience of what's considered an enlightenment moment. And when I came back down with tears running down my cheek, the dentist looked at me and said, sorry, I hurt you. And I was like, no, no, no. Don't you know everything's nothing and nothing's everything and it's all relative and pain isn't important. And he was like, what? And then he turned to my mom, who was in the room because I was only 15, and she said to her, can you drive her to the Michigan Metaphysical Bookstore? Because what she just said is a spiritual um, awakening. And my mom was like, what? We didn't know what he was talking about. And then next year, 16, I go to the dentist again. I drive myself you know, in the car, and I had the exact same experience, only bigger And then I come down and I say to him, I think I just realized that God doesn't exist unless you believe it does. And if you do, you can be happy. So I'm going to choose it. And he was like, okay. Then he writes down the address and he goes, drive to this bookstore. (laughs) And I find myself at the entrance of my message, which this lifetime is keep the observer on, step outside of yourself from the egoless place, and look over at your personality, your human nature, your storyline, and find the angle that will allow you to find some semblance of peace. Because as soon as you realize this is a movie and it's all what you make it, and it sounds so theoretical as I'm saying it to you, but I had a direct experience of it, um, there's some freedom and it becomes humor and the pain becomes delicious and the joy becomes delicious and you choose your life and then it becomes all about falling in love with your fate because there's not a whole lot of free will down here.
2: Wow. Okay, so let's talk about practical application. And I think I want to start by talking about, you know, what you mentioned as unconscious programming, because I, I remember just yesterday, I was having a conversation with one of my friends. I said, you find me one human being who's been raised by like incredibly, you know, conscious parents who gave them the best subconscious programming in the world and have like, you know, unstoppable confidence and make a shitload of money. I'm like, find me that person, and I'll be blown away. I mm-hmm. uh, like, I don't think any of us get through childhood without being scarred a little bit. Uh, so I, I'm curious, so you, what is the practical application of this work? Work, both, you know, the combination of astrology and psychology, and let's start with, you know, undoing, you know, unconscious patterns from our past.
1: Well, that's all there is. So you nailed it. You're absolutely right. You are built. If you read my book, The Missing Element, mm-hmm. the book starts off with, "In the soil of pain, wisdom is grown." So you can't learn here without a crisis. You can't. This planet is built from. Mis- I don't know who made this up. I don't like the story, but you, the, you have to have mistakes and pain to grow. So your childhood was a stalking device to set you up. Now some people come in with an easy lifetime. they just, You can see it in their charts. Like, whoa, you cashed in. And some people come in with like, you're kidding me. What happened? I mean, my childhood was horrible. So then you have to figure out, as you, to your point, what do I do at a practical level to figure out what the teachings are? Because if you can identify I can't wait to see your chart, because I can feel how strong your mind is. If you can identify what the teachings are that you've been stalked for, and you can get ahead of it, which is what I call the observer, you start observing yourself as, as an astrologer would do, or a psychologist would do, step out, look back, and ask this question. What was God thinking when she made me? Like, what was the point of this conversation in my lifetime? What was I supposed to be learning? So, in my story with my dad and my mom, It was a very traumatic experience. My mother was a sleepwalker who was kind of a character out of a movie who didn't really have much understanding. I hope she doesn't listen to me I'm talking when she's dead. And my dad was this incredible character who had this very unusual point of view. And I absorbed and had to clear out my judgments of my mom and take the best of my dad. And then at some point I had a decision to make. Was I going to be a victim to the story as my brothers have been? Or would I take the unconscious material of my childhood and turn it into wisdom so that anyone can tell me their story now? And I'm like, yep, I know that one. Yep, I know that one. So your answer is the practical application is you look at your chart, you learn your personality type, you notice the patterns that repeat themselves. Is it relationship? Is it health? Is it money? Is it career? What continually stalks you and repeat? And then... You get to the bottom note of what the teaching is, and then the story changes. So I get to watch people. Like, I have the coolest job. Like, I can't wait to go to work every day. So what prompted the combination of both
2: psychology and astrology? Like, why these two things combined? And what is the role that astrology plays in all of this?
1: Well, you know, Carl Jung, no one knows this. There's two people that created the word psychology in the 1920s and 30s. That was Freud and Jung. And Carl Jung was quoted to say, psychology will be a dinosaur science until it includes astrology. He was an astrologer. So he figured out the matrix that this chart thing, which you know I didn't believe in it either by the way. so you're not alone. I, like the whole thing seems so. The new age bugs me and the energy work bugs me and I'm just however, it does work. <laughs> and whether it bugs me or not, it's irrelevant. So, Carl Jung was an, ast- was an astrologer and he figured out the matrix that there was this system that you could help somebody shortcut their patterns by giving them the patterns up front and then giving them the psychological tools, better known as the observer, uh-huh. and the pattern recognition to get out of those um, mired unconscious patterns that you get caught in that you feel like never leave you alone so that was the whole point of psychology was making the unconscious conscious and how did i come to it you know what the short answer is it was faded if i told i don't want to tell you the whole story the short story is it's ridiculous how it came to me and i was like a kid sitting on a piano at 10 years old playing simply playing an entire piece without having looked at the music that's what i was with astrology i learned it very young i was doing readings very young and i was very accomplished by the age of 28, I had a radio show in Vancouver on the number one radio show that made me very successful, and I continued to work with Sting and Madonna, and I've had some very famous people endorse my work.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Did your perceptions of the definition of success change as you became more successful?
1: You know, I, I this is so weird, but I think I was good right at the beginning. And I always thought that after, you know how, like, I became celebrities, astrologer, and everybody liked me even more, but I kept saying, well, that was weird, because the day before I met them, I was the same astrologer. I, that whole celebrity thing confused me. Yeah.
3: I've,
1: been, I've been, you know, I was a prodigy. I mean, no one knew that, because how would you find an astrology? I went to graduate school, and I studied ast- astrology in graduate school. I was doing readings for the, the you know, the, my coaches and my um, teachers and the supervisors. They were all interested, because I was very good at it at a very young age. Huh. Kind of like the kid that would play piano. Like, you know how sometimes you see a little kid. I just saw this recent little violin girl. She was like seven. And you were like, what? Because you bring memories with you. I
4: remembered astrology when I was really little.
3: fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com
0: Hey Dave. Yeah Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and t-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas.
2: Wow. Um, so you mentioned uh, my personal charts. Is that something that we could actually look at while we're having this conversation?
1: That's so funny. Um, I would love to see your chart, and no, we're not doing that during this conversation. <laughs>
2: okay, fair enough.
1: But I would love to. I would love to um, look. I, you're fascinating. i You know, I also have a strong intuition, especially when I can't see the person. Mm-hmm. So I get on the phone because voices are so telling to me. And it's very clear to me you have uh, – you know, I, I would suggest without being too candid in the middle of your thing that relationships are one of your hard things. Because for you to keep to – someone to keep up with you intellectually, you get so bored so quick.
2: <laughs> well, that's, that's an accurate assessment.
1: Yeah. Am I, am I right or am I right?
2: Yeah. You're absolutely right.
1: So then you become separate and independent so much. What year were you born? Can you tell me? Uh,
2: 1978.
1: Yeah, so you have a very strong will. You're just a feisty little thing, and you're so independent that when people start being slow and boring, you're like, oh, my God, I'm going to hurt that person. And then you just become independent.
2: Interesting. I've never heard it put that way before, but you're right about the relationship thing.
1: Yeah. Okay, that was my intuition on the little dark screen looking at Skype talking to you in the middle of cyberspace. I love this game.
2: Me too. Um, You know, you've worked uh, very closely with um, incredibly successful people. Um, You mentioned celebrity clients like Sting and Madonna. And I'm curious, you know, what what is the inner world of these people like? Because I think we're very clear on what the outer world of all of these people is like. Is there something that separates them that allows them to accomplish what they do at the levels that they do? Um, You know, like what is the story that they're telling themselves that allows these results to be produced?
1: Such a good question. And something I've studied because I myself, you know, Einstein had a great quote. He said, in my distaste for authority, God made me one. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. In my in my own, um, it happened to me. I, I think I've become something of an authority, even though I have a severe rebel. And I've become an authority as an astrologer and as a psychotherapist. I think it's equal. I think I'm as good a therapist as I am a, um, an astrologer. And it's because... And I see this with all these successful characters that I've been privileged to sit next to. It's very simple, and it's what you're doing. It's consistency. When, like, I watched Sting, I traveled with him for a year and a half, and I saw him practice every day. You know, when when you, and Madonna and her exercising in her body and her relentless commitment to fulfilling her, her practice of her body in her case, it's the consistency that's the challenging. Part for the normal person, because boredom and or um, what, what what stops people from lack of discipline? Uh-huh. Help me. Why do people sleep a lot? Because they are depressed. They don't have motivation. They don't feel like they're good at what they're doing. I just kept doing what I was doing and doing it and doing it and doing it. And suddenly I was like, oh, my God, I just become an authority. It wasn't because I was seeking. My ego wasn't such a ambitious ego. It was more... The distinct quality of success is you keep on going even when you don't want to.
2: Yeah, I, I, would, I would agree with that. Um, you know, the other thing you brought up earlier in our conversation was this idea of, of you know, the observer um, and this idea of, of life being a movie that you're just kind of watching. You know, I, I remember reading uh, Michael Singer talk about this in The Untethered Soul. And, you know, it's funny because I try to, like, I find myself trying to do that. And then at moments, I'm like, wow, this is easy to understand intellectually. Like, I get it. But how do I actually apply that to my life?
1: So it's very simple. And it's, I mean, simple in description, not easy to do. When you're in a heartbreak for you, when your relationship's going south, when you're suddenly feeling like, "Uh uh-oh, I can't find my heart. My emotional body's gone. Mm -hmm. I can't get caught. I'm somehow intimacy's escaping me that's when you turn your observer on and you go, oh, I see a pattern here. And that's when you seek counsel and you start to ask for help. So the observer, the practice of the observer is twofold. One is in a crisis, in the middle of difficulty, boy, if you can apply your observer and turn it on, and this has happened to me when you're in the middle of a fight and suddenly your observer kicks in and goes, oh, my God, you look like such an idiot. You're having the stupidest conversation. It's going nowhere and you can't stop. Hello. And then you have the option of saying, my observer's on. I can't do this right now. Can we take a break? That's one. And then two is being able to see your patterns, as I described for you, and then say to yourself, you know what, this isn't working. Like, I, this is what addiction is. When someone wakes up and they hit rock bottom, their observer kicks in and they say, you know what, I need help. And that's simple observing without judgment. That's the distinction. The observer checks in gives you feedback and says, you know, you're fat. Like you eat way too much. And it's not judging you. It's just like, look, why are you doing French fries again? And then once the observer is activated without judging you, at some point your observer is going to say, can we get help? Does that make sense?
2: Yeah, it does. Um, you, you brought up patterns. And I, I'm curious. You know, We talked about uh, you know my own patterns. But I'm, I'm curious. How do people go about identifying patterns that are holding them back in their lives?
1: Well, that's kind of simple. Come on. <laughs> you know how. You know when things aren't. So you're working at a job that you don't really like. And you're getting paid under what you should be paid. And you're so frustrated because you've been there for so long. And the guy is totally taking advantage of you. And you can't get out. Or you're in a relationship where you, you haven't had sex in the last two years. Beep, beep, beep. Or maybe you're just dealing with your own self-esteem. You look in the mirror and every day you're like, you know, you bug me. Those are clear patterns that something's fishy. Uh-huh. You don't need to ask that. You know. We all know. Depression. Depression is a friend that comes around and sits in your house and really has a weight problem, sits on the bed, doesn't move and says to you, I don't want to get up. You, you ask for help when he comes and sits on your bed for the last year. And by the way, everything is healable when the, when the observers on and you have a good therapist or a good astrologer therapist, which I have plenty of on my website, I've got, I've certified and endorsed many people like me that are even better than me because they're so enthusiastic. You can change anything. And the problem is I said, the astrologer timing, you can only do that in windows of time. Like tell me what happened for you in 2007, 2008,
2: 2007, 2008, I actually ended up at a business school that I didn't want to go to because I got rejected everywhere else. Um, 2008, I was an intern at Intuit, and I spent the fall semester in Brazil uh, while I watched the the economy crumble. But probably the most formative moment of my life was December 31st, 2008, when I caught my first wave, and I knew I was going to surf for the rest of my life after that.
1: Bingo. So those are moments in time that you won't forget. And I pointed to them because I'm an astrologer, and I knew. So when you know something like that's coming and you can prepare for it, or when the next one's gonna come, this is the value of astrology. It gives people the ability to prepare and be ready and or deal with the outcome of when they didn't happen, when they were wanting a change, why am I stuck? Yeah. And you, you can look at a chart and go, well this is why, because the timing. And, and that marker I just gave you is called Saturn Return and it happens predictably to every human being on the planet no matter what culture.
3: Uh-huh. That at,
1: uh-huh. at, at that point, which I you know figured out, um, you will have an entrance of a decision. Will I let go and enter into my new life or will I get stuck? And you, you let go.
2: Does that same timing uh, thing come up in relationships as well?
1: Absolutely. Everything's in seven-year cycles in astrology. That's what you learn. It's a very systematic. One of my gifts is I'm a little slow. You can't tell. But I'm a little slow. And I take things to heart, like I'm a deep listener and I'm a deep applier. I don't like theory. Uh, so it took me many years to figure out to break the code with the charts, with astrology, so I could help people figure out the timing. And, it, and I broke the code. And it's not an ego sentence, it's just true. And because I broke the code, people's lives are changing. Like, it's so fun.
2: So you can predict what inflection points are going to be in people's lives based on astrology? You bet. Wow.
1: Now we're getting nowhere. (laughs) Wow. That's the point of astrology. That's the whole point. Timing is everything, said the astrologer. Everything.
2: Why do you think we have the uh, skepticism about this that we do, and what do you? what is your response to the skeptics? People kind of like me who walk into a store like the one I did, incredibly skeptical, but somehow curiosity got me in there to actually do a session.
1: Exactly. Such a great question. We have had an influx over the last 2,000 years, 3,000 years, probably since Christ left, where the male patriarch took over and told us that the feminine instinctive, intuitive reality was unacceptable. And that if you didn't follow the order brought to you by the government or by the religion, you were gonna be ostracized. So of course, being banished and being separate and having your head cut off or better known as having the witches be destroyed, we said, shh, stop talking about that right brain, feminine, magical world, it doesn't serve us. Then the pendulum went whoo, And about 1960, and there was an ingestion of a lot of drugs and an opening to another world, and suddenly we were like, why did we leave out, and here comes the song, we're on the dawning of the age of Aquarius in the 1960s, why did we leave out the entire reality that exists on the right side of the brain, which is intuition, and feelings, and sensing, and old ancient sciences, and mystical, and tarot, and numerology, and all these and suddenly that became now the pendulum is like, whoo! you walk into those new age stores and the incense is burning and they got the weird music on and they got the little crystals. And you're like, what is that? Well, that was the return of a pagan old system that existed, by the way, way before the left brain did. But it got obliterated. And now we're trying to balance the scales. And we're a little too far to the right. <laughs>
2: So I agree with a little too far to the right thing um, that actually brings up a question for me about sort of you know uh, spiritual growth and exploration and personal development in general and I've asked a number of people this question and I want to hear it uh, hear the answer to this from your perspective so you know one of the patterns that I've seen over and over whether it's somebody who reads a book joins a course goes to a seminar whatever it is is I keep seeing these three groups of people the person who would get the result that they did regardless of whether they did that thing the person who ends up you know having whatever that thing that they did be the catalyst for their transformation and the person who gets stuck in this vicious cycle and you know I have jokingly said even though maybe not jokingly that the entire personal development industry is built off that third group of people <laughs>
1: It's so funny. What was, I love that description. What
2: was the question? So, what is it that, that separates people who are getting, res, like, why is it that we have this vicious cycle of personal development? And, and why do some people get the results that they do? And why, uh, you know, why is it that there are some people who will get the result regardless? Another group who, you know, going to something, you know, participating in something could be the catalyst for the transformation. And then the third group, which, you know, is largely what fuels, I think, the entire industry, are people who are just caught in this vicious cycle of addicted to this stuff, but never actually seeing their lives change.
1: So are we talking about uh, why is there Republicans and Democrats? You're talking (laughs) about different levels of consciousness. Yeah. And you cannot, this is one of my biggest pet peeves. When I get home to the planet that I came from, I'm going to say to them, excuse me, that planet Earth was such a mess. Why would you put people on the planet that are completely, totally, radically different from each other and tell them they're going to live on the same street? So to your point, there are some people who are waking up And they need a small little soft gesture and they suddenly have an enlightenment. Like they go to the dentist and they're like enlightened. There's some people that are sound asleep. They are brand new souls and they're bumping into their own cells and they do the weirdest things and they cheat and they lie and they're so mean. And it doesn't matter what you do to them. And there's some people that are right in the middle that are like, hmm, I like this new age stuff. I think I'm going to practice for a long time. Uh-huh. to see if i could get myself to wake up and those are that category you said the third category they're just they're, they're awakening and it takes a while and you can't you it's not for us to judge but you know when you meet somebody like you're sitting next to somebody you go wow that person who by the way could be i just did a reading today for a 23 year old woman who was so highly evolved it was such a privilege to sit next to her And I have a great friend who's 72, who's one of the youngest souls I've ever met, who just tickles me all day because he still seems like he's 12 to me. So it's nothing to do with age, but there's evolution of a soul. And I can't answer your question in detail because I wish I could just figure this one out. But there are different beings. And some people have to learn by repeating themselves. And they do this. And those people bug me, by the way, those new age people that want to. I say, how many readings have you had? And they tell me, I'm like, please promise me this is your last reading. I don't want to do this anymore. If you can't get it through me, skip it. (laughs) because i'm so blunt i tell people i'm the end of therapy if you're someone that's done a lot of therapy and you can't get the pattern to change i am known as you can see Uh, for being very blunt and I, i i cut to the chase and i am really certainly ruthless in my love but ruthless nonetheless about saying hey you know i like i'll turn to someone and say you're acting like a two year old and you keep on playing that funny little voice honey can you talk in a normal voice and she's like, wow. And then she lowers her voice and she changes completely in front of me because no one had the balls to say it. But you got to say it with enough love. It's like someone's got to tell Trump about his haircut. Why does no one say to him? <laughs> Why does no one say to him, listen, let me just do one. I'm just going to do this haircut for you once. You don't have to go out of the house, but let me show you what you would look like. Someone's got to say that to him, but no one says it. Yeah. We all just pretend that we're all normal and we're all getting along and it's like, So I have the gift of speaking truth with enough love that it doesn't hurt, but it actually makes a difference. And that's the third category. They get caught in new age people and there's lots of healers and there's nothing wrong with them. But how much money can you spend on therapy? Yeah. You wouldn't know, you're just starting with your first energy session.
2: <laughs> well, I've spent some money on therapy um, and plenty on personal development, which actually raises a, another question. Um, you know, I've asked a lot of people about the difference between people who uh, experience post-traumatic stress and post-traumatic growth, and I, I'm curious, like what is your work shown about the distinction between these two people? Like why, why do some people experience one and you know some people experience the other? So
1: you're asking the same question again. There are certain people who are ready to grow. You come into a lifetime, I can look at a chart. Now my students can do it. And you can see if this lifetime, that person's so, like that girl today, she had six plants in Capricorn. She was so ambitious spiritually. She was so committed to learning her lessons that she's not gonna stop working and learning and going to school and being in graduate school and working her job and working her body. And she's so disciplined, it was insane. Then you meet someone else and they're sound asleep and the poor thing, they can't get out the bed and they got the potato chips and they're watching television. They got the computer on and they got this crazy video game that you can't judge them. But you can certainly distinguish between the spirits that are going to play guitar like sting every day and the ones that are just going to dabble and put it down later. And that's what you're asking. What is the difference of evolution? It's determined by how consistent and disciplined you are and devoted to spirit or God or life. And that is evolution. Some spirits have just gotten here half an hour ago. And those of us that are tired and have been here forever are like, oh my God, how much longer is this movie?
3: Hmm.
1: How much longer is this interview?
3: <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, um, one of the things I'm
2: really curious about is the role that your physical body, like your physical well being, plays in all of this.
1: Yeah, it's a great question. So, if you're disciplined and you eat well, and you've learned about the, the right use of food and how to really honor, which is a high level of evolution, those people that don't do it because they have to eat vegetarian or because they have to be vegans, or they can't have gluten, but they do it because they respect their body and they love the feeling of high energy. Like, you know, I have a team of people, I have a company and I teach and I have a lot of um, employees and I'm older than I look. And they are all in their 20s and 30s, and they're like, oh, my God, why can't we keep up to you? And my short answer is, watch how I eat. But you can't get disciplined about food until you've got a commitment to wanting to be here. Otherwise, food is the shortcut to having fun, and you just randomly eat whatever's there in front of you. And the next thing you know, your energy diminishes, and you get illnesses, and your whole system goes off balance, and – you know, I'm not going to tell you a list of all the things that can go wrong. But food is a very, very holy practice. But it, again, it requires consciousness. And that determines, it's determined by the evolution of the soul. And how old is this being? And how committed? You know, I made a promise. You're going to laugh. My little Jewish family. I, I uh, initiated myself as the president for the Jews for Joy Club. There aren't many members, <laughs> but I'm the president. And I decided I'm going to have fun this life. Every day. And I make that my practice. And that means taking care of my body. And I've made it fun. You know when I go swim, I have flippers on. So it's really fun. When I go bike riding, I'm on an electric bike. So it's really fun. I've turned everything into fun.
2: so one other question about this um, and this is about religion in particular so I, I, one I'm curious you know w- what is the role of religion in all of this because I have always jokingly said my main issue with religion is that it's time consuming because I'm Indian and all Indian religious traditions are time consuming if you've ever been to an Indian wedding you know this um, and that's why I'm not interested in it because it takes up too much time but I, I'm really curious like what is the role of religion uh, you know played in all of your work this is the
1: funniest thing I've heard all day. he doesn't like religion because it's I'm consuming, because he's Indian and the wedding takes too long. Well, kind of a little cheap answer there, but I'm going to let you go with it. Um, I don't understand religion. I'm not a follower. I have a hard time doing what people tell me to do because of my dad. I'm an eccentric.
3: Uh-huh. That's
1: what they tell me. I have an independent thought process that asks questions that probably interrupt everybody all day like you do. So in my independent thought process, I can't follow and religion demands you do so. And it was put in place because the patriarch wanted to control the feminine, and they did a great job. So in a historical pendulum, we are now letting the, notice that women are everywhere, every yoga class, every Oprah, every, they're just women everywhere right now. (laughs) Um, The pendulum's swinging. So religion was a male patriarchal control factor that got us all following in a row with rules. There's 612 laws, according to Judaism, that you have to follow. I'm not interested. So, you know, am I spiritual? Do I pray every day? Do I meditate every day? Do I devote my life to spirit? You bet. Is my joy factor in support to a, what I call a joyful God, which is not the classical Jewish God that they interrupt introduced to us. Yes. So this podcast that you have and this work that I'm doing, we're trying to make people think about their new version of religion which is described by your uniqueness. And if you want to pray and meditate and go to church and you love the smell of that incense, go for it. I don't care what you do, just so long as you honor God. I don't care what his last name is. I don't care how you do it. Just make sure you realize there's a greater power that we are humbled in the presence of who is driving this entire movie, said the astrologer, in perfect order. As Einstein said, God's not playing with dice. This is a perfectly organized system. It's just the human condition is a mess which I have a whole other conversation about. We're not going to go there now.
2: <laughs> well, it sounds to me like I could talk to you for about two hours about all this stuff, and we still wouldn't, uh, we'd barely scratch the surf- surface.
1: Yeah, I, I am definitely a thinker as you are. So, yes.
2: Well, um, I can see now why Ellen referred you. This has been really, really fascinating. So I want to finish by asking you my, my final question, which is how we finish all of our interviews at The Unmistakable Creative. What do you think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable?
1: Uniqueness—it's—it's the unmistakable. Are the people that you stop and you look at them again? You go, that person is so unusual. That person is so themselves. That person is so committed. They have so much conviction to expressing themselves in their own unique way. Whether that's being quiet and looking like they're peaceful, like a Dalai Lama who sits in meditation and we're so impressed with his unmistakable gift, or whether that's Madonna on on a stage screaming and dancing with such incredible precision. But in the end of the story, what's unmistakable is somebody has given themselves to be exactly who they are because everyone else is taken, and they've really figured out their unique version, and that's what astrology is for. I help you identify without judgment the version of you and then how to enhance it with the compassion of the observer who looks back at you and goes, oh, you're so cute. You're amazing. I'm in love with you. I can't believe you're here on this planet. Thank God you arrived in the nick of time. The gift you're giving to that family you're in or the gift you're giving to your careers, thank God you're unmistakably being you. How's that?
2: Yeah, that was awesome. Um, Well, this has been amazing and really, really eye-opening. Where can people find out more about you and your work?
1: Well, the good news is twice a year there's a school that you could come take a six-week class that is like life-changing. It's a self-discovery. You would love it. it would, see, people that don't believe in astrology are my favorite people because I love the skeptics. Like, let me show you the practical application. So you go to Deborah Silverman Astrology, D-E-B-R-A, DeborahSilvermanAstrology.com, and you go under learn and you find out about it, or you go to Amazon.com and you put in the missing element, it's a book that I wrote. That subtitle is Inspiring Compassion for the Human Condition. And you read the book or you go get a reading. You can come get a, And I, you don't need me to get a reading. There's an amazing astrologers on my website. So it's you just one-stop shop, com, And uh, let me share with you an ancient science that got left behind because someone decided that it was dangerous to have too much magic. Hmm. Wow. help help why would we not want magic
2: well I think that makes a really fitting end to our conversation um, I, I really appreciate you taking the time to join us and share your stories and insights with our listeners this has been really phenomenal
1: yeah so are you you're a really good interview and now I want your birth date
2: <laughs> April 11th
1: 1978 no 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 but I need oh. you to you need, what you should do is you should write to, if anyone wants to read you write the Silverman support at gmail.com. I want you to write the silverman support to and just say, "Deborah just did an interview with me. Here's my birth date, time, and place. Okay. And, then, okay. and then I can figure you out.
2: That sounds awesome.
1: Good luck with that, you're supposed to say.
2: <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. And for everybody listening, we will wrap the show with that. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Unmistakable Creative Podcast. While you were listening, were there any moments you found fascinating, inspiring, instructive, maybe even heartwarming? Can you think of anyone, a friend, or a family member who would appreciate this moment? If so, take a second and share today's episode with that one person, because good ideas and messages are meant to be shared.
3: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi.